Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. A lot of noise out of Gainesville this weekend for big recruiting weekend. Not a lot of commits to talk about. Not a lot of commits to talk about, but we'll get there. All right. So, so we'll go on four bits. The SEC decides to stick with an eight-game schedule. They were discussing nine. Netflix is set to release a documentary on the Urban Meyer years at the University of Florida. And Florida has confirmed new uniforms for the Arkansas game on November 4th in the Swamp. Will, how's it going, man? Go really well, man. So baseball today with my kids. We actually won a game. That's been great. And uh, <laughs> we sold out, man. Sold out the preseason uh, preseason preview magazine. All our hard copies sold. And uh, so we've had to decide. We're going to do another pre-order. So that's exciting that we'll get other people have an opportunity to buy it if they want it. Yeah, hey, we really appreciate all the support. Uh, that's a lot of copies to sell out. Really before anyone got a copy in their hands, uh, all the magazines that were have been in are out in the mail, though, correct? Well. Everything's out there. You should be, right. if you haven't gotten it already, you should be getting it early this week if you ordered it. And thank you, thank you so much for doing that. And then I had probably eight, nine, ten people reach out to me this weekend saying, "Are you going to do another one? Are you going to do another one?" So we are. We've decided to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to do another pre-order, just like we did last time. Um, so the magazines then will be coming to you right around the fourth of July. Um, and what that means though is that we need orders in by Friday, June sixteenth. That's Friday, June sixteenth. We need orders in. If you go to readingreaction.com/slash mag there will be a link to take you to that if you want hard copies you can also just buy the digital copy if you want the digital copy you can buy that as well but if you missed out if you'd like the opportunity to get another one um, you can go over to readingreaction.com slash mag you'll be able to get that the orders have to be in by friday june 16th and then they'll be coming to you right around the fourth of july there's about a two-week turnaround to get them printed um, so we want to make sure there's enough interest to do the second printing i think there's going to be i think there'll probably hopefully be plenty but uh we want to make sure that that uh, people who want who people who missed an opportunity have an opportunity to go ahead and get one and you can do that right there yeah, please. And if you ordered one, please share it with any friends or family that would be interested. We would really appreciate the support on that. We certainly put a lot of work into the magazine and we appreciate those of you that have supported us to this point. Will, let's jump right into the show here. Big recruiting weekend in Gainesville here. Big recruiting weekend. Lots, lots of talent on campus. I believe there are 17 players. Four of those were commits. You had Lagway, uh, Phil Sami, uh Hayes was in. Isaiah Williams was in from Tampa. And then there was the flip targets as well. You had Jeremiah Smith back, the Ohio State commit. Uh, Jonathan Eccles, IMG kid, who's a Tennessee commit. Uh, Evans from Texas A&M, uh, defensive lineman, is in. So if Evans were to flip, he'd be a high-profile, third high-profile commit from the state of Texas to be joining the Gators. But, you know, other big-time players, David Stone on, along the defensive line, Jalen Crawford at corner, Ethan Calloway. Uh, the offensive tackle, Dontre Robinson, defensive line, Ori Williams, offensive tackle, and at another defensive lineman, Kendall Jackson from, from Buholtz there locally. But, well, a couple of the, the recruits that I highlighted in a recent article up on readandreaction.com, uh, Christopher Jones, LJ McRae, and Jordan Ross, those guys, they really stood out to me uh, on film. Jones, of course, he's the number one prospect in Virginia, linebacker. Really a guy that I thought had a chance that to commit this weekend, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Well, apparently it's a race between Florida and Georgia for Jones, but if he joins that linebacking core for the 2024 class, you're talking about Jones, Graham, and Hayes. That, that's quite a linebacker room to get, get started if, if uh, Jones ends up joining the fold. 
Yeah, I think in some ways that's one of the reasons why maybe it's a little bit of a surprise that Jones is is looking at Gainesville as close as he is, right? That you don't necessarily, in defenses these days, you don't need three linebackers all at once. Now, if you're Florida, you want to stack those guys in a recruiting class as much as you can. But still, if you're Jones looking at that linebacker room already, you're sort of looking at it going, well, you know, am I really going to play in front of Ernest Graham's son if, there's, if it's a tie? And so, uh, you know, hey, good job by the staff to bring guys in. Certainly that defensive staff is, is working hard on the trail, especially at the linebacker position. And we're starting to see that pay off. Yeah, love the names, love the excitement, love the optimism, but there is a little bit of jaded nature to our fan base at the moment, and you see it all over Twitter. Yep, yep, great. You love the visit, you love the school, you love the coaching staff, you like the energy. Are you committing? <laughs> and, and, and that's the part that seems to be the problem at the moment. So were, were you surprised that as of it's about 9 p.m. on Sunday night? Were you surprised that we didn't get a single commit this weekend? No, not really. I, I think the reality is, is when you look at any sort of negotiation, and that's what recruiting is now in the days of NIL. It was always a negotiation before, but now it's sort of above board negotiation. When you look at any negotiation, deadlines cause people to to close in on numbers, right? If you if you think about like the writer's strike out in Los Angeles, it's like the deadlines are what make those things start to move. Major League Baseball is notorious for having to actually go on strike before they can actually get a deal on the table. NBA, NFL, it always comes right down to the last minute. And so I suspect that's what we're going to see with recruits, especially high-level recruits moving forward is that they're going to find that their leverage starts to increase as programs get nervous, as more of the five stars and even the four stars who were their backups decide to go someplace else, right? So if you're a guy like David Stone, who's a defensive lineman, and you know Florida has is targeting like three or four defensive linemen, and all of a sudden Florida strikes out with some of those defensive linemen who are below, now you have more leverage, right? And so I think these guys all want it over pretty much by December. That seems to be what's happened ever since they brought in the early signing day. But the idea that you're going to get and, – and look, Billy Napier's been very clear, and I think this is this is proven true, is that not every player puts NIL at the top of their list, but many of them do. And so when you're looking at recruits and when they're going to when they're going to commit and all that sort of stuff, I think there are a lot of things they have to consider. And so it's not a surprise that a guy like David Stone does his unofficial visit for June 2nd or his official visit, and then he's got an official visit with Miami next week, and then he's got an official visit with Oklahoma the week after. Like, you know what? He's going to hear different information. Do you want to commit, close it off, maybe decrease the leverage that you have with those two with those two schools, or do you just wait for three weeks and then make your decision? We're in a spot now where, where, um, where decisions tend to come before the season for a lot of these guys who are making, who are making these big time decisions. So look, if a guy like David Stone commits and he, and he decides, um, and he decides to go elsewhere before August, yeah, we'll be upset. But August is kind of when I always look at recruiting and say, where does it need to be? And is it at the level that it needs to be? And thus far, Florida's done pretty well in this 2024 class. A guy like Stone, yeah, he obviously makes it better. A guy like Jeremiah Smith, yeah, obviously he makes it better. But um, but just having Lagway and Philsome and, and Hayes and those guys in there with those guys, I think makes a difference. And so, you know, look, I, I have confidence that this staff based on what they've done from year one to year two to year three is going to improve. The question has always been, there are two questions in my mind. One is, 
Um, are they going to improve enough to be able to compete with Georgia and Alabama consistently? And then the other question is, is are we going to give them enough patience because it's taking longer to improve than it has for some other SEC coaches in the past where in that second recruiting season you see a major uptick? We didn't see that. We saw an uptick, but it wasn't a major one. Now we're seeing the major uptick in 2024. So, look, come back and ask me this question in August or September 1st, right after the – well, right before the kickoff of the Utah game. Ask me this question, and I'll be able to tell you kind of where Florida's recruiting class can end up. Until then, it's just kind of musical chairs figuring out everything where these guys are going to sit. I think all of these guys, you know, it really is musical chairs, right? You're going around and you're waiting for that music to stop. It's not until the music stops that you have to be on a chair. It doesn't do you any good to sit on a chair while the music's running. Then you're not playing the game. And I think that's sort of where we're at here is a lot of these guys are circling the chairs, but the music hasn't stopped yet. It's going to take the music to stop for the rubber to meet the road for some of these guys to make a commitment. Yeah, there is that part of my brain that's very disappointed that we didn't come out. This seemed like a very promising weekend. You know, you talked about McCray being another guy out of Daytona Mainland High School. Uh, it, man, when I watched him on film, he, his body type, he reminds me a lot of, of uh, Cameron James that we just picked up from Orlando last year. Same type of similar build, like this tall, lean build. Uh you know, a guy like Jordan Ross, too. You heard some stuff about him going in. That guy looks like a receiver. He, I, I put he looks like a receiver, runs like a receiver, hits like a linebacker. That guy's just all over the field. It would have been nice to see one of those guys take take the plunge and, and get it over with this weekend. But, you know, you are right about that, Will. You're right about the fact that in the NIL era, it does make sense to wait. Look, we waited all fall last year. Cormani McLean commits right before the Georgia game. So, you know, deep into the season, late October – Makes his commitment to Miami. Uh, seems like the uh, the sign, the letter of intent, never made its way to Coral Gables, though. And he held out, ended up going to Colorado. Of course, we know that story. So even if a guy is quote unquote in the fold, nothing's done until December. Uh, even though it's nice to 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 seemingly get guys locked up. What's encouraging about this year, the major difference, because this was about the time of year last year where there was a lot of panic in the air. And why aren't guys falling? Why aren't we building this class? Why aren't there more commits, you know, picking up steam here? But this year is a lot different because you got Lagway in the fold, because you got Graham in the fold. You got Hayes already in the mix. And these guys are committed. These guys seem like really solid commits, too. This this doesn't feel like a class that none of those guys feel like guys that are going to flip at the end. Um, so it, it is a little bit different this year where it feels like that that foundation is in place and now we're trying to build on that foundation versus last year where you're looking at it, looking at an empty slate almost at this time last year. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the big thing, right? Is that, um, and, and look, this isn't the only big recruiting weekend. So next weekend, they got Miles Graham yes. and Walter Matthews yep. and, and Xavier Mency and Michael Uni coming in. So they've got guys that they're targeting Matthews specifically at tight end. I think we look at and say, all right, a guy from Georgia that, that, that Florida wants and, and are they going to be able to bring that guy into the fold? So it's not like this is the only recruiting weekend. Obviously it's a big one with Jeremiah Smith. And, Next yeah, two would, weekends are coming, absolutely. coming up. Yep. So, but, but I mean, look, so June 2nd as a weekend that, that obviously was a big weekend with Smith and stone and lagway and Phil I mean, you got two of your big time commits coming in and you hope you, you, you flip those guys, but recruiting is a relationship thing and it is a building thing. And a lot of these guys are looking for something specific. And when they find that they don't, you know, you don't have to buy the car if you don't have to drive anywhere yet. 
And so these guys don't have to drive anywhere yet. And so I don't know if there's an incentive to buy the car unless they just want people to stop bugging them. Right. And so if they, if, if the car salesman keeps calling you, you're finally like, look, dude, I just bought the car. Like, leave me alone. And I think in many ways, that's what December is. (laughs) But car salesmen are annoying and uh, going on recruiting visits, I imagine is pretty cool. Like you get, you get to hop on a plane, go somewhere as, as an 18 year old kid, you get to go somewhere cool. You get to have a fun weekend. They treat you like a king for a weekend. I, I think I, you probably, most people probably would enjoy a nice recruiting trip. Hey, Rick Pitino is the best at it, man. So you, there are, there's a lot of stuff out there that, uh, you know, those recruiting weekends end up with. And uh, I'm not sure that, uh, uh, yes, those are things that I think you would absolutely enjoy if you were an 18 or 17 year old yeah. kid. And why Take not enjoy all, enjoy all five and then make a choice? Yeah, Jeremiah Smith, commit to Ohio State, and then just keep visiting Florida and say, hey, maybe. We'll we'll see. Maybe they could flip one of those guys. Maybe. That would be nice. That would be nice to see. But I guess we'll see how things go. I I like your August criteria. Just remind people who don't. Uh, who, who don't know about that August stat that you have for recruiting well. Yeah, so it's actually the end of August. Basically that you see a lot of noise in the data in terms of average recruiting rank, um, mainly because teams only have three, four, five recruits very early on in the cycle. Once you start getting to 13 or 14, well, that's kind of the recruiting ranking that you're going to end up with by the end. So mm-hmm. what that means is you can tell – where a recruiting ranking is going to be within one or two slots overall based on where teams are right when the kickoffs start happening in September. So usually what we do here at Read and Reaction is we take a look at recruiting. We'll take a look right around this time of year just to sort of set the stage. But the reality is usually we're taking a much deeper look when it comes to middle of August, early September, because that's when you know where you're going to be. And that's honestly the thing that I think if Napier can put up a top three, top four class this year, all of a sudden, no matter what happens on the field, read and reaction at least will be pumping patience because we'll be sitting there going, it is coming. The team is being built, but you have to give the coach time to do it. And here's why you should have hope. And in fact, we had the complete opposite analysis when it came to Dan Mullen, which is we're seeing success on the field the first couple of years. But the dip is coming, and here's why it's coming, because we can see what's on the horizon with this recruiting. And so that's when that's when you start to take a look at it. And obviously you recruit it when or you you cover it when early signing day and the national signing day happens, but the story doesn't change. Like you basically write the same story in September that you do in December that you then do in February, because December or September is when everything starts to settle in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how true. How many cycles have you looked at? For that statistic you've oh, gone God. back, back to like on that. 2011 i think is right. how far back we went so yeah, we got that's... you got about 10 years of data on that to hold true so all right well that that's uh i was hoping to talk i again not gonna lie not trying to sugarcoat that fact i was hoping to talk about we pushed this episode to sunday night to specifically hopefully speak about some commits but we'll we'll, we'll be patient well we'll be patient let's go on to four bits here uh 2024 uh, scheduling for the SEC, uh, the SEC is going to stick with eight games in the league. There's a lot of uncertainty about this 12-team playoff setup. How much are they going to actually value that win-loss record? Are you going to take that 11-1 Big Ten team over a two-loss SEC team with, you know, like Alabama last year, right? You lose by a field goal at Tennessee and a two-point conversion, one point at Alabama. It is funny listening to people talk about Alabama this year. Like, they just had a total failure of a season last year. They lost two games by a total of four points at the very end of the game. Uh, but, you know, would, would an Alabama team this year get more weight than, like, an 11-1 and Big Ten team that 
played a week schedule or something. They're not sure about that. That seems to be the main argument for wanting to stick with eight, eight games, or at least the main one that I've heard that's actually halfway decent. Uh, before I go into what I think about this, Will, I'm, I am going to share this tweet from Peter Burns. Peter Burns, of course, from the SEC Network on ESPN. He said, fun fact, since the NCAA approved it, uh, 12-game schedules in 2006, no team playing a nine-game conference schedule has ever won a college football national championship. The Big Ten, Pac-12, and Big 12 haven't won a title since moving to nine conference games. Uh, meanwhile, the SEC has won 13 titles, and the ACC has won three. Uh, 2020, right? Did Alabama play more than nine games in the conference there in 2020? Well, are we count? I guess that's a weird year. That's a tough year to count. But off the top of my head, I, I think I, the 2020 Alabama Crimson Tide did win a national title, didn't they? You but, destroyed the tweet. But but besides 2020, because that is a weird year, uh, the point is okay. But Peter, anyone defending this move right now? Why did we go out and add Texas and Oklahoma if we were going to stick at eight? I, I really don't understand that. And and I'm I'm one of the fans that like I understand the economics of college football and how there's a nice little ecosystem where, hey, when Florida A&M comes into the swamp, that's actually a nice little paycheck for them. It, it kind of helps to feed the money to different programs. Okay. All right. But I do think there's different ways to go about it. And uh, I, I think these college football is really becoming uh, a situation where there are the big boys and the rest of the sport. And I, I, I don't need these these state games anymore. We could go to nine games and you're talking, there's more talks about expanding the league even further. And I joked about this on Gators breakdown the other night with Dave. Uh, maybe we should add Florida state and Clemson to the sec so we can reduce the league schedule to six games. Cause that, that the schedule is going to get even tougher with those teams on it. Let's reduce it to six. Let's, let's play a bunch of out of conference games. If we're going to do that, it's, it's stupid to me, but I also see it as a temporary problem. This eight game thing. I, I don't think you added teams to stick with a nine-game schedule. There's TV contracts to reconsider. One of the, the talks about the ACC, Florida State's making a lot of noise about the difference in the ACC contract and what they're going to be making over the next decade because I believe they're locked into something ridiculous, like 2036 on this ACC deal. And the Big Ten and the SEC are going to get to come to the table and renegotiate before the ACC will. A second time they, they just renegotiated they're going to get to do it again they're going to get to do it again before the acc so i i do think that it could be a tactic by the league to maybe hold on like oh well what's gonna what's it worth to you to the tv networks to, to get that ninth game so it, it could be on multiple levels and they're just pointing to the playoff as a big reason why they don't do it for now but again i don't see a situation where you add texas and oklahoma and then you play one rival, meaning Texas can either play Oklahoma or Texas A&M every year. And I, I, I would think that they would want the those two, those three teams to play annually. But definitely Texas playing Oklahoma and A&M, for example. I, I don't understand the move right now, but I do think it is temporary. 
I mean, I understand it completely. So first, let's go back to the tweet that you had. Um, just about every SEC national champion has played nine SEC games because they've all won the SEC championship, except for Georgia <laughs> two years ago. So, you know, the reality is, is that you play, and, and even then you played nine SEC games. That's a good point. Games. The SEC championship game is a league game. The SEC championship game is a league game. You played nine games anyway, so that tweet's garbage. The second thing is, is that- Sorry, who Peter. Who does, who does Peter Burns work for, right? Peter Burns works for ESPN. What are they doing here? This is a leverage play. Right. Yes. This is a this Absolutely. is a they've looked at the TV deals that have come out since they signed their big TV deal mm-hmm. and they need an escalator clause. And you know what the escalator clause is going to be? The escalator clause is, clause is going to be, do you really want the traditional rivalries in 2024? Well, we're not going to give you those traditional rivalries unless you renegotiate and we get this ninth game. I guarantee that's what they're doing because the eight game schedule means you've got the one cross rivalry and now you've got seven and you can choose to have Missouri play Arkansas, or you can choose to have Arkansas play Texas A&M, or you can choose to have Tennessee play Alabama, or you can choose to have Tennessee play Kentucky. And you, you have the leverage now to be able to control that schedule in 2024, how your TV partner sees fit assuming that the TV partner has made it worth your while to make mm-hmm. the TV partner happy. And you saw this with the NFL a few years ago where they just gave ESPN completely crap Monday night football games for like two or three straight years to a point where the Monday, I, I think it was that was Al Michaels doing the Monday nighters or was he doing the Sunday? Whoever it was who was doing the Monday nighters just like could not like could not believe that the games were that bad. Like it was hard to watch them on ESPN. And finally they decided we're going to pony up. They paid the NFL more money, and all of a sudden, ESPN has great Monday night football games. Who would have thought, right? And so that's what's going on here. This is all a money play. It's always a money play when it comes to college football. The SEC is always thinking ahead of everybody else. They sat there and bickered and said, oh, it's not about money, and they're going to sit there. You got Eli Drinkwitz talking about how how the players are making more money than than his brother, the doctor, even though Drinkwitz makes more money than every one of his players. You know, all this crazy stuff going on, but at the end of the day, this is all a negotiating ploy. By giving themselves seven games to schedule, they now have leverage over ESPN or whoever the television partner is, not only for 2025, but for 2024 as well. So it's it's like the NFL when they were talking about expanding to 17 games, right? Like, In fact, they were talking about expanding to 18 games. And when they did that, the Players Association, no, no, we won't do that. And all of a sudden they come to the table and they're like, well, hey, how about we eliminate a bunch of preseason games? Like, that sounds great. Well, you got to put, put one on the back end to, to make up for the revenue that we're losing. Okay, I guess we'll do that. And all of a sudden they're playing more games than they would have originally. And it's the same thing here, right? They will eventually expand to nine games, but that ninth game, it's going to be like when when you used to scalp a ticket and you'd sell the ticket at face value and then you'd sell the pencil that came with it for five grand, right? (laughs) And you thought you were slick when you were scalping a ticket like that. That's what this is going to be. It's going to be the eight-game schedule is worth this much. And the ninth game, SEC game of the week on ESPN is worth $300 billion. And, you know, that's how they're essentially going to, I think, even up their money deal with what the, what, what the Big Ten got for, for their package. I did hear a segment on Josh Pate on uh, Late Kick on 24-7 Sports there. Uh, he was talking about, I believe, Kirby was saying, I believe it was Kirby Smart, said, uh, made a comment about the relevance of the SEC championship game under the 12-team playoff model. And he said, I, I believe he was, the uh, thought was that, uh, not making the SEC title game might be more advantageous in that model. I've made that point. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know we have talked about that before on this show before, but 
What do you think? Of, what do you think about that thought? Is that is there something to maybe being that uh, eleven and one Florida team who drops a Georgia game? And, and you know, are, they are going to get rid of divisions though. So if you're eleven and one, you, you're probably still in the SEC title game. But well, it's, it's is, is, there, be- is there that that maybe let's go with uh, the Alabama team last year, right? They're sitting there at ten and two. They're outside the SEC title game. They definitely would have been in on a twelve team playoff. But the difference is, in the in the reverse to Kirby's argument could be. You still want that seed. You, you want to buy. You want to go to that next round. If you win the SEC title game, you're guaranteed a top four seed. I mean, I think you're tournament. gonna end, you're gonna end up with years where where winning that game makes a big difference to you. But you're also gonna end up with with scenarios where there you're gonna sit there and go, well, I'm gonna rest my guys in the second half because I don't have a lot to gain by winning this particular game. If like let's say let's say you got two one loss teams in the SEC championship and neither one of them is gonna get the number one seed, and then you're like, all right, whatever, we're just gonna sit here and. Let's forfeit, right? I mean, I think there, there's an opportunity, kind of like the NBA, where you get to like the end of the season, and they put that play-in game in specific or play-in tournament specifically just because everybody was tanking towards the end of the year. And I don't think it's going to get to that point, but yeah, I, I, it, it was actually it's actually my problem with the four-team playoff too. Like Georgia two years ago didn't have to win the SEC championship game to get in. They wanted to win the SEC championship game over Alabama, I'm sure, but there was no real sense of urgency. The sense of urgency was on Alabama's side because they had to win to get in. So from a conference perspective, if you were a conspiracy theorist, you might think that the officials for the SEC might call that game one way versus another to make sure you got two teams in instead of only one team. And I think that's one of the things that's going to start start cropping up is you're going to have, you know, scenarios where you've got a, what, a nine and three team in the SEC that, that, you know, or an eight and three team that can go nine and three and they're going to be playing somebody and it's going to be like, okay, well, one team is like, oh, my season's over, whatever. And the other one is out there trying to play to get into the playoff. And you're going to have teams in the big 10 and the pac 12 and, and the big 12 and all those places wailing because the sec is going to get six or seven teams in. So I don't look, I think the whole landscape's changing, but just like everything, follow the money, right? The money is going to dictate how this stuff pans out. And I, I think, Honestly, I think they'll go to a nine-game schedule, and the SEC championship game might just go away because like I don't said, see them allowing that cash cow to just go away. What you could see, and, and again, I think they'll get creative. They'll get creative in a way for it to continue to have some level of relevance. You know, you know what they'll do? Right? They'll they'll find some way to take the sixth and seventh team in the SEC put them in the sec title game or whatever that game ends up and it'll be the play in for like the 12th seed or something. Well, right, and, right now, the way the schedule sets up the sec title games, the last game of the year after your regular season, you know, for us, it'd be post Florida state every year. Why do you have to play all your non-conference games? Maybe you play your league games first. You play the sec championship game sometime in the middle of November. And then you play those non-conference games that maybe you could set those up to, set the seedings for the playoffs at some point so that the SEC's championship game still has a lot of relevance there and you have nothing clinched. You know, by the last game of the season, Georgia has that that spot locked up if they're undefeated, like last year. If Georgia lost to LSU in the in the SEC championship game, or let's use a hypothetical example, Georgia doesn't win a national uh, the, the SEC championship game two years ago, Will, right? They were the SEC runner-ups before they go win a national title. So... Uh, We've seen it before already where the SEC championship game already has lost its relevance with the 14 playoff to some degree. 
So I, I, I didn't it, like that. Like, you know, you're, you're asking me to talk about something that I don't like to begin with. I enjoyed the two team exclusionary process and I've written about it. And the reason I enjoyed the two team exclusionary process is the SEC always had an end to that and that Florida was always the cream of the crop in the SEC. And so Florida always had an opportunity to sort of play for that. And the games that I remember, even on the bad side, that 11 and one Georgia or the 11 and one Florida team in 2012, like that was excruciating to lose that game, but that was a really fun season. And if that team makes the playoff, it's still probably a really fun season, but that Georgia game doesn't have near the significance that it did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the same thing would have happened if you talked about the Mark Rick there at Georgia, where, where Florida was just, you know, driving him crazy and driving the Georgia fans crazy. And that was something that was really enjoyable for us. And that you're going to lose that because Florida and Georgia would end up in the same damn tournament. And you know that they'd try to separate them as much as they could so that they'd end up in the, in the, you know, in the semis or the finals of the tournament. And maybe that happens. And then that's really cool. But I, I think for the most part, those games that we all point to and say, these things are critical. Like I remember it was a game in the urban Meyer era where Les miles calls some weird fake punt or fake field goal. Um, you know, last seconds LSU wins the game. I remember walking out of the swamp, just completely dejected. But the reason I was dejected is that game meant a ton to Florida's ability to actually win the national championship. And you're walking out of there going, essentially we got one path maybe, and that's it. And and that exclusionary part of it makes every game matter. We're going to lose that. And I think we're going to gain a lot with entertainment from a 12 team playoff. Mm -hmm. but I think we're going to lose the significance of games. You just can't have it both ways. It's the same thing with the NFL, right? The NFL is a great sport. And when you get to the championship tournament at the end to get to the Super Bowl, it's awesome. But there are, you know, the New York Giants back in the year that the Patriots went 18 and 0 and the, or 18 and 1, you know, the New York Giants, I think, were 9 and 7 that year. And they got hot during the tournament. They got some guys back who were injured. And all of a sudden, they're raising the trophy, even though if you look at that year, no one thinks the Giants are actually a better team than the Patriots that year. It just so happens they won the final game and they won the tournament. That's fine. That's going to that's gonna happen in college football. But I don't think it's going to happen as much as it does in the NFL because those NFL teams are a lot closer in talent than than college football teams. And that's kind of what we've seen with the 14 playoff, right? Is anytime anybody outside of the top five or six recruiting teams has gotten into the championship, it's just been a bloodbath. And we saw that with TCU last year. And then we saw with teams that have relatively equivalent talent with Ohio state and Georgia, how close it can be and how entertaining it can be. So I look at it and just go, the more games you can give me like that, like the, like the Ohio state, Georgia game, um, you know, the better off we're going to be, the more you give me the Ohio state TC or the, the Georgia TCU, the worse off we're going to be. And Hey, that Michigan TCU game was really entertaining, but Michigan sort of sits in that same category. So look, the sport's changing. I know it's changing. I'm an old man. So I kind of want to hold on to it, but, um, it's going to change. And I think one of the things that you just need to do is follow the money. That's really what it comes down to for the state game schedule. Yeah. And, and just cause it looks a certain way right now, doesn't mean it's going to be that way in five years. So there's going to be different. I'm sure there's going to be different changes that make sense along the way. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Looking forward to seeing what it looks like, though. Uh, all right, let's move on to six bits here. Netflix has announced a documentary about the 2006 to 2009 Florida Gators under former head coach Urban Meyer. Uh, it should come out in August. I believe it's August 23rd. Brandon Seiler put it out on his Instagram. Of course, former linebacker, great Brandon Seiler. Love that guy. Great, great linebacker for the Gators, but Will, I, I have it's it's going to be titled Swamp Kings. 
I have my reservations about this. I, I obviously, I you know they didn't show any. I haven't seen any real uh, trailers for it or anything, but there's a perception of this Florida team that was has been painted with a, a, a brush that it looks at it from after the years that these seasons occur. In 2006, 7, 8, and 9, this fan base, I was in college during those years. That was actually – like my sophomore year through, I graduated in 09, so I wasn't there for the 09 season, but I was there for most of those years. The fans love those teams during that stretch. All, everything that happens, what I'm afraid the story is going to become is something where it's an hour-long documentary and we're spending 20 minutes talking about Aaron Hernandez and, and what he did afterward. So how much, how much of the story is going to be told the right way is a real concern I have. Uh, you know, there, I've certainly seen some of the names involved with the project. They seem to have a lot of players from the team. So I, I do think that, you know, at least, at least some of it's going to be told well, but I'm a little skeptical uh, on it. I'd like, I, I hope it's done well. I love those teams. And I, I hope that those seasons, I hope the focus is on the football, those seasons and not off, not all, all the off the field stuff that became the focus after Urban Meyer left Gainesville, right? All that stuff w- was documented after urban left Gainesville during his time here. That was not the perception in those seasons. That was not the perception. I hope the documentary focuses on what happened in those seasons and not so much on all the extracurriculars that went on afterwards. Well, look, I mean, I don't think you can tell that story without telling some bit of about the extracurriculars. I mean, you got the Tony Joyner stuff, you know, jumping over the gate at the, right. uh, at the, but what's the relevance the, the to the line? football on the field? Well, that was extraordinarily relevant because they decided not to suspend him and he came back and played. And all of a sudden, oh, the, the impact line. Sorry, I thought you were yeah, talking yeah. about something else with Tony Joyner. No, no, no. I wasn't talking about the he's, stuff downstream he's got, with Tony He's Joyner. got another story about him. Yeah. Yes, the impound lot. The, the impound lot. That's a different so, story. But but that's that's going to lead into the stuff that goes downstream. Same thing, same thing with Hernandez, right? And look, I don't think you can tell like so I wasn't there during that time. I graduated before then. I had gotten out of there just in time to experience the last years of Spurrier and the, unfortunately, first years of Zook. And then I left, and all of a sudden, Urban Meyer came in, and everything was awesome again. So clearly, we just need me to come back for a couple of years to go to college there, leave again, get a master's or something, and then leave, and then the team will start winning again. I think the reality is, though, you and I know this, because one of the things that we really actually pride ourselves on here is that we're we're separate entities that don't we don't have a ton of access. And because we don't have access, we can be honest. These guys aren't doing a documentary on this stuff and and allowing somebody to hightail it into the Aaron Hernandez, you know, true Hollywood story. Like, that's not what's going to happen. I hope not. Well, I mean, you I'm know, skeptical I, though. Have you seen the stuff Netflix has put out? I'm like, I mean, you trust a lot of that stuff? I, I don't know, man. I don't well, my know. Point, my point is, is that I said I'm do, skeptical. If, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I said yeah. I'm skeptical. I will watch it. I will. I look forward to seeing it. But you better treat our. You better treat. You better treat those teams right. I want. I want well, to see those teams treated well. That's well, that's all. the point, though, right? Is the if like there's going to be some people who watch this out of curiosity because they know the Aaron Hernandez story or they know the Tony Joyner story or they know Tim Tebow and 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 they'll watch it even though they're not Florida fans. But the audience for this is a Florida fan base. 
right? And if and if you if you just excoriate the program, the fans aren't going to be happy. If you excoriate the program, all the players who did the documentary aren't going to be happy. And the next time you want to do a documentary, if you're the director and somebody reaches out to say Ahmad Black and says, "Hey, what do you think about this 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 director?" <laughs> the guy's going to get the door slammed in his face. I can't so think of a he, single corporation in modern day America that doesn't have their customers in mind. Will when they when they do things, I, I, there's hundreds of examples of people doing stupid things with with, uh, with their businesses right now. There's hundreds of examples yeah, out but there. Not, right but now. non-college, but non-college, what, non-college football, like the like I, I it's so I, fun and professional I, professional I, sports too. Like, how often do you see a guy get fired? And then all of a sudden the reporters are like, Oh my God, it was such a, it was such a disaster in there. And the reason you find out about it after the guy was fired is because no one was willing to say it when the guy wasn't fired because you need access to the program. Like that's the reality. Right. And so if you wonder why those stories come out afterwards, it's because you can't be incredibly critical and maintain your access. And look, I'm not criticizing those people. I think that's a critical thing because you need people who are inside who have that sort of access, but it's a compromise you have to make in order to have that sort of access. We've decided not to make that compromise, mainly because I live in Philadelphia and couldn't get the access even if I wanted. So, but, but what that does is that means that when I'm honest and I'm negative, you should think I'm being honest. And when I'm honest and I'm positive, hopefully you think I'm being honest. I, I might be wrong and I'll come and admit that I was wrong, but, but that's the reality is that access is not an issue. But when you're a documentary filmmaker, you ostensibly want to make a good product. That's going to make a bunch of money, but you also have to worry about access for your next documentary. And so it's not necessarily a business making a decision in their business interest. It's a personal person. Like it's, it's an individual making a, making a decision for their own personal well-being. And look, I think there are going to be things in there that are controversial. Why wouldn't there be? I think the trailer is going to make me nervous, <laughs> but I think when you actually watch the documentary, it's probably going to be a story about brotherhood and camaraderie and all this sort of stuff and the challenges that go along with building a big time college football program some of which are things that are scandalous and that's just the reality i'm not saying that that everything in that era is above criticize away on certain aspects and especially you know looking with 2020 hindsight on certain aspects of the program there's plenty to pick apart however if you want to tell the story that's true to the moment in time you had urban coming in you know, we didn't think Urban was going to be out of there by 2010. That was a shock. I mean, remember when he first announced, was it 2009 where he announced the retirement at first after the SEC championship loss? And that was stunning. That was like breaking news into Sports Center. We were supposed to be a dynasty. That whole story is unbelievable. But I I mean, and even still, like I see names, like whenever people talk about this online, they're like, oh, Cam Newton was on the team. I'm like, yeah, Cam Newton had a cup of coffee here, guys. He wasn't like he wasn't like making major plays for these teams. He had a couple, he had some garbage time here and there. It wasn't like, but it was a disappointment to lose him at the time, certainly. And look, and, I think, but again, I, that's I think, a story that was written kind of after. I know that happened in in uh, 2010. So that was Urban's last year. Cam was out there in Auburn making plays, and that was certainly disappointing that he wasn't here in, with us in Gainesville. But at the same time, if they focus on those elements of the story, I could see a situation where they focus too much on the wrong parts of the story and take away from the parts that were great. Because you look at that stretch from 06 to 08 in particular, and 09, we don't talk about 09 at, at times. That 09 team went undefeated, right? That 09 team went undefeated before the SEC title game. 
So, and, and Tebow came back for that senior year. Those were some magical, magical years of Gator football. And I just hope the story's done right. And that comes from someone who's like within the family. It's like, you're talking about family here. I hope you tell it right. I hope you tell it right. And you know what, Will? If they don't, maybe Rude Reaction will have to go do one. Who knows? We'll <laughs> there see. you go. So maybe we hope they do it wrong. So then we can go back and do it right. <laughs> just hope you, you treat those guys right, Netflix. You treat those guys right. We'll see how that goes. All right, let's go on here to a dollar. We'll wrap up talking about uh, the black uniforms have been confirmed. Of course, we had a pretty good idea they were happening because Billy Napier had brought it up last year during his tours of the Gator Clubs, and he had mentioned that in at Louisiana they did black jerseys around Veterans Day for military appreciation. So it is confirmed Florida will be rolling out with black jerseys against Arkansas on November 4th. Uh, in addition, for each ticket purchased, the UAA will donate – an Arkansas game ticket to local military heroes, uh, up to 2,000 tickets, the article uh, had said there. And additionally, uh, the UF campus will be transformed into orange and blue in celebration of family weekend. So so it's family weekend slash uh, uh, military appreciation weekend there. Uh, Napier also mentioned that they're going to take the black jerseys every year and they're going to auction some of them off. And they're going to donate that money uh, to families of people in the military that were wounded or maybe had some type of setback. So this is ultimately going to be parlayed into a good cause uh, and with around the military. I, I love the idea. Uh, I'm not personally crazy about the black jerseys at Florida. I hope they make them look good because after, quite frankly, I was a little bit ruined with the uh, Felipe Franks A&M game jerseys with the uh, Gator skin jerseys. <laughs> I was like, you know, we got a good thing going with our jerseys. I don't think we got need to do that. But if they get the look right, uh, you know, the, the the cause is certainly right. So even if even if I don't love the look, I, I do love the cause. And I do think it's a, a good tradition to start and certainly a way for Billy Napier to put his stamp on this program. Yeah, I mean, the military aspect of it is great. I think the Arkansas contrast makes a lot of sense just in terms of their colors. Like you're not you're not necessarily like if you were to play, say, South Carolina, South Carolina has a lot of black in their in their um, scheme anyway, which mm -hmm. makes it weird to bring black into yours. So I think it matters in, from that perspective, just from an aesthetic perspective. I hope they keep the orange helmets. If they're going to have the black jerseys, it is right around Halloween. That kind of makes it kind of cool, right? You start playing a game under the lights, military, you got the orange orange to contrast the black. I think a lot of people look at it and sort of make the entire thing black with orange accents. I think that's where it starts to look, you know, a little bit hokey. Um, you know, I, it's got to look better than the Tennessee blacks. Those things are just hideous. So, um, you know, look, I, I think – Recruits love new uniforms. Fans love to buy new uniforms. They've been selling black jerseys, black Gator jerseys from like overseas vendors for years. You've been able to get them. And so, you know, this is just the natural outgrowth where why, like most people don't mind buying from the university, but if you can't get it from the university, then you're going to go buy it someplace else. So now you're going to have an opportunity to get it there. The color scheme goes pretty well with the, with the black, as long as you're replacing the blue with it. So um, I understand why people are interested in it, but I mean, look, I, I think, um, I get more excited. I like the white stuff. I like when they go white, white, white with the white helmets. I like, uh, um, so I like the ice look more than I do more than I think I'm going to like the black look, but look, like we're in a day and age now where like major league teams have these like city uniforms that they play on Sundays in. you've got the little, uh, 
you've got the ads that are sitting on the NBA uniforms. Again, I said earlier, follow the money. That's what this comes down to, right? From, from a military perspective to be able to donate, but also how many black jerseys are they going to sell in the bookstore and online mm. and all that sort of stuff? Way more than the blue. And so, you know, that's that's sort of where it's where it's going to originate from is you're going to get people who've already bought a blue and already bought a white are now going to add a black to their collection. And, and so it'll be kind of a cool thing that way. It, it, uh, it's one last game. You're going to see that blue Jersey though, which is one of the best in college football. So I, I do, I like the idea, but I, wh- let me ask this. Where do you stand on the orange Jersey? I mean, I prefer if you're going to change, I mean, look, if we're losing um, another game of blue, do you want to see, I would almost be like, yeah, we'll do the orange every other year or something like that. I don't need to see the orange every year. So I think point. that, I mean, honestly, if all they ever did was wear their normal homes then wear the throwback homes, then wear the blue blue combo, mm-hmm. and you're already three in. And then it's a question of what are you going to do the rest of the year? Um, you know, I, the orange is whatever. You look like Clemson at that point, right? It's like uh, that's why like changed Clemson. it back to blue. Thought yeah, we looked so, like Clemson. Yeah, well, so I I think if you look at the greatest moments in Gator history, they come with teams that were wearing the blue jerseys. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, highlights of Percy Harvin where he's wearing the all blues against LSU. Those are the things that I remember. Um, I don't know that – and there haven't been any memories yet, right, that have been that have been seared in our mind. And maybe if they'd worn those Gator skin things every home game for for seven games, we'd, we'd, we'd have something seared in our mind other than Felipe Franks running like a deer on an 80-yard run you know, in a game, in a game where we couldn't move the ball at all. Um, I doubt it, but uh, yeah. You know, there's just some things you don't need to do twice in life. Well, you know? well, I will tell you, I you think know, that... there's a couple of times you show up on a date and you go, yeah, this, this doesn't need to be a second. <laughs> we don't need a second one here. So that's what okay. I will say is I think the all oranges look good against LSU. Like that's sort of a, that's been a good look, especially because of the goal line stand and Austin Appleby hitting that big, big throw down the sideline and that sort of stuff. And because of how, how annoying they were because of the hurricane and that sort of stuff, I'm a little bit mm-hmm. partial to yellow oranges for that. But now, nah, I mean, if all you gave, like I'm old, if all you gave me was the blue, the throwbacks, and then the all, the, the normal uniform, the throwbacks, and then the all blue, I'm a happy camper. The black shirts, that's going to be one more away from the blue, but the cause is certainly, Awesome. And it's Napier's, you know, it's the thing that Napier's getting started. Let's see if it becomes a tradition in the program. It'll be interesting to see. And it'll be around that. We can anticipate that around the Veterans Day uh, weekend every single year. Of course, for Veterans Day weekend, they're at LSU this weekend or this year. So that's why they're bumping it up a week for the Arkansas game. Will, remind folks where they can order the magazine and what the dates are for the next run, if they would like a physical copy of the magazine. And of course, just a reminder, we do have digital copies. If you, if you prefer reading on the iPad, you can go on the website now and, and just order that digital copy. But if you want a physical copy, we are sold out of our first run here. We are looking to put together another run. What's the information on that? Yep. So go over to readingreaction.com slash mag. That's readingreaction.com slash M-A-G. There are two links. There's one link to the digital version. There's going to be one link that's for another pre-order. You got to get your orders in by Friday, June 16th, and then they'll be coming to you around the 4th of July. Um, So I'll give you a couple of months until the season starts. Not a lot of information changing. We're also going to be putting together some for people who buy the magazine. If you do a couple of things on social media for us, there'll be an opportunity to get some extra bonus content coming up around that 4th of July date too. So you'll be able to get that along with 
the uh, the magazine that comes your way too. So, uh, you know, we're, we're excited about it. We're appreciative. The people have supported us in this endeavor the last couple of years and uh, we're excited, man. We've learned a lot about magazine publishing and writing and formatting and, and curating and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but I, I think, I think the biggest thing is, is that last year was our first foray and inevitably it's funny. Um, when I started reading reaction, the first article I ever wrote, I went back and read the first things I wrote for SEC country and good Lord, the first article I ever wrote was just awful. And then the second one, I can kind of see like the inklings of what my writing style would be. And I think that's kind of where we are with the magazine this year. As we look at the magazine last year, I think you and I both look at it and go, I'm glad we did it. I'm, I was proud of it at the time, but yeah, there's some improvement that needs to be done there. Hey, and I think we're tough. We're a tough audience. I, I'm already critical of what we did with this year's magazine too. I'm already looking at things like, well, we could, I could do that better. We could do that better. We could do that better. But but, but this year, but this year trying to work to make things better with this but magazine. This year, but this year, and I think even you. I think even you would admit that this year we both look at it and we'll go, we're proud of this. Like we are proud yeah. of of the way it looks. We're proud of that it looks professional. Absolutely. We're, we're we're proud of the content inside. We're proud of some of the stuff that we cut and didn't put in it because we. We think that makes it a better product too, that we haven't watered down the stuff that's in the magazine at all. And so the combination of all those things makes us really proud of it. So anyway, thank you very much for supporting us. For those of you who've already bought it, like Nick said earlier, don't buy another one. If you've got somebody you just want to show it to like, feel free to hand it to them. We're, we're not like, to us, this is just as much Hold about on. building reach. I didn't say that. By all means, buy another one. <laughs> well, you can you do that too. Please buy guy... another one, as a matter of fact. Well, give it to somebody else, and then if they <laughs> like it, buy another one. But, uh, <laughs> like, we're we're not coming after anybody if you share it with somebody. We we want to make sure that we we increase the audience as much as we can. But if you enjoy it, take a picture, share it on social media, and uh, you know, as a thank you for if you do that for us, we'll we'll send some extra content your way. Well. Again, yeah, exactly what Will said. Thank you to everybody who has supported the magazine to this point. Uh, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Reading Reaction. Hey, we're going to be over our, uh, with the guys on High Top Sports on their live show this Wednesday night. So be sure to check us out there over on YouTube uh, with uh, Soderquist and Shelton and those guys. So we'll have some fun with them. Uh, and that's that's all we got for tonight, though. So we'll wrap this thing up and have a great week, everybody. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.